Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, pushing the Prime Minister. Put him on notice that we expect that by March 1st. With the deadline already extended, the NDP leader says the Trudeau government needs to deliver pharmacare by March the 1st or risk repercussions. Coming up, we will speak with Health Minister Mark Holland. How are negotiations going? Is his government willing to leave the supply and confidence agreement with the NDP? Also, the government's national auto theft summit takes place tomorrow. What is needed to make the meeting a success? We will speak with the mayor of Brampton, Ontario, Patrick Brown. And... You are against puberty blockers for kids under the age of 18. Is that... Is that yes. The conservative leader clarifies his stance as Pierre Polyev continues to show support for the Alberta Premier. Coming up, we'll get some reaction from a trans activist who ran for the Conservative Party in the last federal election. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. The deadline for Pharmacare legislation is fast approaching. Originally set for the end of last year, March 1 is now the new date circled on people's calendars. But there are few positive statements being made about negotiations between the governing Liberals and the NDP. Instead, this is what we heard from Jagmeet Singh today. This is something we're very serious about. We're not going to extend this any further. Uh, we are very serious that pharmacare has to be delivered. We need to see legislation and some additional steps. And I made that very clear to the Prime Minister. I put him on notice that we expect that by March 1st. If not, there will be repercussions. Well, joining us now is the Minister of Health, Mark Holland. Uh, Minister, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So here we are, uh, three weeks to go before the March deadline on pharmacare. Still no announcement from you. How would you describe your negotiations right now with the NDP? Are you getting close to a framework deal? Uh, we are getting close. Uh, you know, this is a, uh, obviously a very challenging process. Uh, we're talking about uh, an enormously complex space, and we are two different parties uh, with different ideas of how uh, we think we should move forward. But I would say that the conversations have been very productive. Uh, the NDP, I think, has been quite reasonable in trying to find middle ground. Uh, we've got a little way left to go, uh, but uh, I'm hopeful uh, uh, that that will be concluded over the next uh, uh, week or so, uh, and that we'll be in a position to meet that uh, deadline. Okay, so you, the NDP has been very clear about this. Anything less than a universal and public program would be essentially a no-go for them. Is that the issue that's delaying it, that New Democrats are essentially asking for more than what your government is willing to pay for? Well, I can't get into details around uh, the contents of the negotiation. I mean, that that is, um, uh, there's a lot of movement back and forth. Uh, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, we're at a fiscally challenged time, uh, that uh, you, we have to constrain our ambition uh, against the ability of our nation to pay for that ambition. Uh, and but at the same time, uh, you know, we do have some really important shared objectives. We want to see uh, uh, folks have access to the, to the drugs that they need at a price that is affordable for them. Uh, there's a major affordability challenges in this country um, and working in the space of pharma is a tremendous opportunity for us to look at reduced costs. You know, and there's a lot of ways we can do that um, through policy. I look at bulk purchasing uh, through 
working with uh, provinces and territories. And uh, we've been able to save about $300 million a year for Canadians uh, in their drug costs as a result of those kinds of, of that kind of work. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to focus on in those negotiations, the art of the possible here. Okay, art of the possible, although there is, I guess, an example we could point to right now, because for people who don't know, there does exist a pilot program. It's taking place in PEI right now, supported by your government. And when you look at the details of that plan, you know, it does reduce co-pays for many drugs, not all. And those co-pays are reduced for some groups, but again, not all. There's, a, there's essentially a means test here. Is that the program that you want to expand nationally? Well, I think the pilot's incredibly important and we're learning a lot from it. Uh, and it has been very successful. We've seen co-pays and PEI come down to $5 for a very wide range of drugs. Um, and it's a materially improved uh, access to pharmaceuticals in that province uh, and has really helped with affordability. So uh, insofar as it's uh, been an enormous success, we're, we're learning from it and looking at how its lessons might be applied elsewhere. Uh, and I do think that we have to uh, consider a, in real world circumstances how these models function. Uh, and it's important to see what the real world results are. So. Uh, PEI has been very important. Uh, it certainly is helping to inform the discussions. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the end model we'll wind up with, uh, but it has been very helpful. Helpful, although, you know, interesting, when you look at what you've done with dental care, that essentially has uh, a means test to it, that you, you, you to qualify, you have to have a family income of less than $90,000 a year. So again, uh, uh, it seems a bit less than universal than what the NDP is asking for. Well, I mean, you can't allow progress, um, uh, for, for rather perfection, to be the enemy of progress. I mean, here's an example of dental care where we have 9 million people today who don't have dental coverage. Um, and most people are, are very happy with their uh, the relationship they have with their dentists who are lucky enough to have private insurance. Uh, and uh, and that has worked very effectively. So uh, what, what we're seeking to do in dental care is to is to fill the gap to make sure that people who don't have care get care. And we know that that's critically important, not as just as a matter of social justice or having a nice smile, which is of course extremely important. Uh, but but the uh, fact that it is so preventative, it has such a powerful impact. Uh, on whether or not somebody gets a cardiovascular disease or whether or not somebody gets diabetes or a myriad of other chronic disease and illness. So it's so important with, uh, with dental care uh, that we fill in those gaps and make sure everybody gets care. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the IDP sometimes talks about, you know, an ideal model of being some other place. Uh, but we have people, real people right now who need coverage, and that's what our dental care program is addressing. Okay. Now, Jagmeet Singh says, though, if this pharmacare deadline uh, is not met, uh, it will be your government that is essentially walking away uh, from the supply and confidence agreement. Is that something that you're willing to do? Uh, look, I understand uh, that, you know, publicly as part of negotiations, all sorts of things are said. Uh, but I think what Canadians are expecting is for us to work together uh, and to find common ground. And I think those conversations have been very fruitful. Uh, and uh, so I remain exceptionally confident that when we get um, to uh, the, the new deadline, the 1st of March, uh, that we'll have something that makes sense, uh, that is going to help Canadians uh, and is going to uh, also be respectful of the uh, the fiscal constraints uh, that we, uh, we have at this time. Uh, speculating beyond that, 
I, I don't think is helpful uh, because I don't think it's reflective of where negotiations are right now. Okay, but but I, I am wondering though because and, and I appreciate what you're saying that you are still optimistic. You're working towards this March first deadline, but here we have two parties that both promised pharmacare in their last campaign. If this agreement fell. Would your government be willing to present its own pharmacare deal on its own, a liberal plan, to see if that would pass in the House if the supply and confidence agreement were to come to an end? Well, I, I'll tell you what, I was elected for the first time 20 years ago, and uh, something I learned not to do is to try to predict the future. Um, you know, a few weeks in politics is a lifetime. And uh, I think we we need to be squarely focused on making this work. I, I don't really have any mind space for thinking about what we're going to do if it, if it doesn't work, because uh, I think the discussions are moving successfully. Um, and I don't have any reason to believe that it will go um, otherwise. Uh, and uh, and circumstances uh, in the future will be different. So I understand the um, the excitement to speculate, and I understand uh, uh, you know the, the focus on sort of the politics of it. But our focus here is on on getting this done for Canadians, and and I really can't afford to be thinking about um, uh, you know other scenarios other than getting this done and finding common ground. Uh, and I'm not operating on the basis of you know. Uh, will we or will we not find an agreement with the NDP? I'm operating on what's what's fair to Canadians. What's what is going to move the ball in terms of reducing drug prices and and demonstrating um, that we're moving towards a system that makes sense, and at the same time really respectful of taxpayer dollars. Um, and you know, in my experience, if you can m maintain lo a logical, a logical, reasonable position and be the logical, reasonable party, uh, the people will see that. Um, and right now, uh, the NDP is. Uh, is being logical. I understand they're saying some things externally to provoke uh, negotiations, and that's common, uh, but, but I remain optimistic. Minister Mark Holland, always appreciate the time. Thank you for this. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Well, time now for a look at what happened in politics today. Ahead of tomorrow's national summit on combating auto theft, the federal government announced $28 million to tackle the export of stolen vehicles. The new money is earmarked for the Canada Border Services Agency and is meant to increase the CBSA capacity to detect and search containers with stolen vehicles at Canadian ports. We look forward to engaging with partners from across the country heads of law enforcement agencies, provincial ministers, municipal leaders, representatives of the automobile manufacturing sector, the insurance sector, to discussing what other additional measures we can take collectively together and obviously will continue uh, as a federal government uh, to look at ways we can continue to support law enforcement partners from across the country. I declare the motion defeated. Now, the government's announcement late this afternoon follows a failed Conservative motion. It called on the Liberal government to reverse changes to its bill, removing mandatory minimum sentences for some criminal offences. The opposition says Bill C-5 has led to increased auto thefts across the country. Conservatives were also looking to strengthen the criminal code to keep repeat auto thieves in prison, but again their motion failed. The Conservative leader says he is against puberty blockers for children. Pierre Polyev's comments were in response to questions about the controversial policies for transgender youth Danielle Smith unveiled last week. 
I think that we should protect children and their ability to make adult decisions when they're adults. So you think only adults? Only adults should make. You said yes. Just just to be clear, you said yes. Only adults should take puberty blockers. I think we should protect children. Let them make adult decisions when they become adults. You are against puberty blockers for kids under the age of 18. Is that is that clear? Okay. The Alberta Premier's proposed plan would ban children 15 and younger from using puberty blockers or pursuing hormone therapy unless they've already begun the treatments. The RCMP has charged a Montreal man with uttering threats against the Prime Minister, 30-year-old Paul Clerisou appearing in Montreal court today. The charges stem from threats he allegedly posted on social media. The Mounties say they laid charges on January the 31st following a short investigation by the Integrated National Security Enforcement Team. And finally, an Ontario court sentenced a former senior RCMP intelligence officer to 14 years in prison today for leaking classified information to organized criminals. 51-year-old Cameron Ortis was convicted of six charges in November, including violating Canada's Secrets Act. The Ortis case marked the first legal test of charges filed under the Federal Security of Information Act. Well, let's get back to the subject of auto theft. Again, the federal government is hosting a national summit on the problem tomorrow. No longer just a property violation, auto theft is now tied to organized crime rings and becoming increasingly violent and common. In Toronto alone, vehicle thefts rose more than 300% from 2015 to 2022. And the Canadian Finance and Leasing Association now says a vehicle is stolen every six minutes in this country. Well, joining us now is the Mayor of Brampton in Ontario, Patrick Brown. Uh, Mayor Brown, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Now, you will uh, be speaking at the summit tomorrow. I'm wondering what your message is going to be for those who are attending. So we've seen auto theft skyrocket across the GTA over the last number of years, and we've been pleading for help. So I'm very encouraged that the government of Canada is hosting this summit. It's a sign that they're listening to our concerns. Uh, My message is this is out of control. And according to our police, it is now the third largest revenue source for organized crime in Canada, only behind guns and drugs. Auto thefts is now big, big business for organized crime. And there are two ways to shut it down um, that will have the greatest impact. The number one is dealing with the Port of Montreal. 80% of our stolen vehicles are going to the export market and primarily through the Port of Montreal. If we have proper screening in the Port of Montreal, we can stop this income source for, for organized crime in Canada. The second aspect is, you know, we need to have real sentences. You know, we see some of the low-level uh, criminals involved in this spending one night in jail. And, and frankly, some of the gangs if they even spent a night in jail, we'll pay them a bonus. Uh, so it, this needs to be reined in. There has to be real consequences for auto theft. That's going to be my message uh, um, at the Auto Theft Summit. It, it is time to deal with this uh, square on. Yeah, time to deal with it, as you say. And you, you're noting here just how big of a, an industry this has become for crime. But in terms of just how violent auto thefts have become in your community, can, can you share some of the stories that you're hearing? Well, we've seen uh, auto thefts that are... Um, heinous. Uh, You see people knocking down doors of homes to uh, get the car keys. You see violent uh, uh, carjackings. 
you know, these are these are expensive. Um, uh, it's expensive property, and so people are going to great lengths to go and steal that hundred thousand dollar vehicle. They may be paying some low level criminal two thousand dollars to commit the crime, and then they're reselling it. Um, for a much, much greater amount. And so this has become a very lucrative industry. And it's meant that people are going to some pretty heinous lengths to 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 steal these vehicles. It's horrifying to see. You know, you, you laid out uh, the, the Port of Montreal as well as uh, the criminal code in terms of having to deal with these crimes. Is that the litmus test for you? Is that what will signal for you whether or not this summit is successful if you come out with some type of resolution that's going to happen soon? Yeah, I want to see a plan for the export market. That is what is driving this industry. Um, and so my hope is we're going to get a commitment um, from the public safety minister that there'll be a plan in place. Right now, local police don't have the jurisdiction. It's CBSA, whether it's at uh, um, an intermodal hub or or at the po- at the port. And we need to have a plan. Um, you know, tracking devices show us where these stolen cars are going. Um, and so it ha- this has to be addressed. If this is not addressed, if it's if Canada continues to be the easiest country to get stolen cars exported from, um, then then this summit will be a failure. But I'm optimistic that uh, we have the ear of the public safety minister and that we are going to see a plan for this. I've already spoken to Dominic LeBlanc, and you know I, I am very encouraged that he is taking this as seriously as he is. Now, we'll be covering the, the auto theft summit uh, wall-to-wall tomorrow here on CPAC. But, you know, uh, outside of that, I do also want to talk to you about a separate issue altogether. I know Peel Police uh, in your area gave an update on alleged uh, cases of attempted extortion. Now, this has mainly affected the South Asian community in your, in your city. Uh, you have been asking for more help from the federal government. Can you talk to us about just how big of a problem this is? Mm-hmm. So a number of mayors across Canada have been talking to each other about the extortions we're seeing. It's across the lower mainland of British Columbia. We saw some pretty uh, ugly incidents in Edmonton. And, you know, we've made a plea, given the interjurisdictional nature of these extortion attempts, that we needed the full cooperation of the government of Canada. Um, and I have to say, we have that cooperation. There's a high level of cooperation with the RCMP, um, CSIS, and local law enforcement um, agencies. And, I, and we're grateful for that. It, it's it is leading to effective investigations. And the announcement today that we had five arrests for people behind um, some of the extortion attempts is very encouraging. I would note that 50 cell phones were recovered and and computer devices. And so um, this is going to really help unravel the broader extortion scheme that that, that we're seeing. And so uh, you know today was uh, was good news because we are making a breakthrough, and hopefully the victims can have a a sigh of relief that. Uh, there are consequences for people that commit heinous crimes like this. Mm-hmm. And and to spell it out for people that are not so aware of what's happening here, when we, when we talk about extortion, they're they're asking for money under the threat of violence and sometimes horrible violence, including gunfire. Sometimes, yeah, we're, we've got incidents where after the extortionate threat is made, um, you'll see uh, a person's personal residence shot up with gunfire, their business residence shot up. But there's been um, acts of arson, uh, and so. The South Asian community where this is happening has been terrorized. Um, you know, I couldn't imagine how terrifying it would be to have your family home shot up when you have children inside that home. And so I've had residents in tears calling me saying, you know, how is how is Canada responding to this? And so uh, the fact that our local police were the first police to make a breakthrough um, is uh, is great news. Uh, this is something that I know Chief Nish, uh, the, the chief of the Peel Police, was taking very seriously. Um, we have to. You know, we have to let Canadians know 
that um, this will never be tolerated. Patrick Brown, always appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us this evening. My pleasure. Thank you. As we noted earlier in the program, the Conservative leader clarified some of his support for the Alberta government's transgender policy proposals opposing hormone blockers for youth. Now, in sharp contrast, the Prime Minister also made his own statement today about the controversial proposals. Take a listen to what we heard from Justin Trudeau. Trans kids are five times more likely in this country to attempt suicide. Well, Mr. Polyev and Ms. Smith are proposing is to take away uh, the rights of parents and their kids to make the right choices for them with their doctors. We don't think government should be doing that. Our government will always stand up for the most vulnerable, including our trans youth. Well, joining us now is Hannah Hodson. She ran federally for the Conservatives back in the 2021 election, worked for former Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, and these days is a nursing student and trans rights activist. Uh, Hannah, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, I want to begin w- with your reaction to, to what was announced in Alberta last week, because you reacted quite strongly on social media. You, you said on social media that this was, quote, a total attack on the rights of trans people to exist. Can, can you expand yes. on that? Yeah, I think it's based on, you know, we all expected something was coming. Um, I think that in the line of what Saskatchewan did, this is obviously significantly more. And I think that you know, we could go through each each proposal and talk about why they're bad, but I think many people have done that. My argument is that fundamentally what this shows is a rejection of the idea that being trans is as normal and legitimate as, as being non as be not being trans. And I think that that is to me, what speaks to an attack on the rights of trans people, you know, the premier using words like choice and decision and, you know, well, this adults can do rejects. I think the, the, the dominant medical thinking as well as the dominant you know, psychological thinking and really puts the lives of, of trans people, especially trans youth at risk. Well, yeah, I did speak with Premier Smith the other day uh, about the, the policies that were introduced, and, and she makes the argument that really what she's trying to do here is to protect young people, that they do not make a choice that they would regret down the road, pointing to one example, uh, a trans woman who regretted uh, having bottom surgery. Well, what do you say to that? Well, actually, uh, transition regret is one of the lowest instances of regret in all medical science. I mean, research shows this probably one, maybe less than 1% of people who regret uh, proceeding with, with gender-affirming care. I mean, for example, regrets of knee replacements and hip replacements are much higher. So I think using that as an example is not particularly based on the medicine and based on the, the, the reality of how it's affecting trans people and based on how the premier didn't consult with any LGBTQ organizations or even teachers, it does not surprise me that she'd be uh, going with this uh, un- incorrect argument. Mm-hmm. Now, you, I want to pick up on a point that you said earlier, too, because you, you essentially said that w- these policies frame being trans a- as a choice, which yes. is something that you push back very strongly on. Many in the uh, LGBTQ community do push back on that. Can, can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, this similar to what we saw, you know, with being gay in the 80s and 90s and the, 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 the attitudes changing over time. 
But the idea that it's a choice, you know, adults want to you know, change their name and cut their hair and do whatever, that's fine. But, you know, it's not for, is, 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 is showing that the person saying it actually doesn't believe it's legitimate. I mean, they may say, you know, I understand someone going, you know, dealing with issues in their body or whatever, but they don't accept that it is a, a completely legitimate way of being that affects many people in Alberta and across the world. That it's just, well, this person is trans, so we should support them. It's, well, if you're an adult and et cetera, et cetera. But it's, again, it's the same argument we heard for being gay. It's the same argument we've heard for, you know, a great many cultural things throughout history. So that's one level. What's your fear here? Now that these policies have gone through, what, what impact do you think this may have? I think it'll have many impacts. I think the the school impact is going to requiring opt in for for so sexual education is going to re- significantly set back the, the the education of of children and, and students in in Alberta. But I think the worst is that you know saying to someone who you know has known their trans since they were you know two and has been going through a social transition with support of their parents and doctors and and for 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 years and has only really ever lived as 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 their as their real gender and then getting you know getting to puberty and being told well actually you know young woman you have to go through male puberty because you don't know what's best for you your doctors don't know what's best for you the you know the cabinet knows what's best for you which i think is rejecting you know the the dominant you know the canadian pediatric science canadian medical science generally and american many different scientific organizations and medical organizations would say that that is an inappropriate action that will have significantly negative medical uh, harms to many of these young people. So what do you then say to to those? Because there there are those that, you know, are not, we're not really aware of the issue until this, these group of policies are introduced last week. And, and for many, they're siding on caution because they understand the argument being made that a parent has the right to, to be involved in decisions that their, their child is making. And as you know, a lot of the, a lot of those who, who support these kind of policies do it under the, under the umbrella of parental rights. What do you say to, to mm-hmm. those groups of Canadians? Well, I would say to them that if you're con- if you're concerned about parental rights, then why are you taking away the ability of supportive parents who have or are with their child on their journey to determine what is the best medical care for that child? I mean, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say you know we don't want a different kind of necessity ne- necessary medical care. You know, parents, you don't know better. Doctors, you don't know better. We know better. And I think it's dangerous for politicians to do that because they're saying on one hand parental rights, on the other hand no parental rights to determine the best case of medical care for your child because they're saying absolutely not this is not allowed many parents are going to leave alberta i've already spoken to some who have trans children are going to leave the province and i think that's really unfortunate and and something that uh, a negative outcome we're going to see uh, i think grow you know, I, as we noted off top, you, you ran for the Conservatives in the last federal election. Uh, you, you watch politics keenly in this country. What do you see as the evolution of this debate in this country? Now that we've seen New Brunswick, then Saskatchewan, and now more widely in terms of how broad the stroke is, Alberta, how do you see this, this issue working its way through the, the Canadian debate? I think it's it's clearly, I mean, in my opinion, it's clearly being used as a as a handout to the more you know extremist social conservative groups to say, you know, we'll give you this uh, in order to keep you on side. I think I think that's you know what it is. You know, the premier didn't 
you know, apparently consult with teachers or consult with anyone. She consulted with Take Back Alberta. But in terms of federally, you know, the Pierre Polyev talking about parental rights. I mean, that's what this is about. It's it's a it's a way to to say, yeah, we we know, you know, we're not going to talk about specific policy. We know you're concerned about this. Yeah, yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Support us over here. Um, you know, there's, there's a long history of this. I mean, I think that the conservatives realized that the uh, issues like abortion and gay marriage were, were settled. People weren't going to accept those anymore. And so this is, you know, we're coming up from the States. This is the next battlefield. And I, it's unfortunate that more young people, more vulnerable people among the most vulnerable people in society are going to be under threat. Hannah Hodson, uh, thank you for the time. Really appreciate you speaking with us. Thank you. And that is our program for this Wednesday. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching Primetime Politics. We are back tomorrow, but up next, Estébéjan avec l'Essentiel.